You're listening to the Eyes on Washington podcast, Holland and Knight's overarching public policy and regulation podcast series. Our public policy and regulation group has an ideal combination of lawyers and lobbyists with a comprehensive understanding of the federal policy and regulatory process. This series will shine a light on the shifting dynamics of governmental entities and the ensuing changes in economic or political policies, laws, and regulations that can have a critical impact on the health and future of your business. Hi, everyone. My name is Nicole Elliott, and I'm joined by my colleague, Josh Odins, and we are both partners at the law firm of Holland and Knight and self-proclaimed tax nerds. Today, we're here to talk about the midterm elections and the impact of those elections on the tax code. Josh, obviously, the Inflation Reduction Act uh, was recently signed into law, and we saw a ton of tax provisions in that law, including lots of tax incentives around renewable energy. And we also saw the imposition for the first time of a book minimum tax and an excise tax on stock buybacks. But what's next after these elections for tax reform or tax change? Thank you very much, Nicole, and it's great to be back on our podcast. What is next is uh, a very busy lame duck session. Uh, The lame duck session is the period between the election and the end of the Congress, which ends early January when the next Congress is seated. And it's going to be a very busy period, jam packed with tax legislation. So we expect an extenders bill. There are a series of provisions that expired at the end of last year or will expire at the end of this year that Congress could decide to extend. And there are some other surprises that may uh, be addressed in the lame duck session. So we often hear this term tax extender. What what does that mean, Josh, for those who who are not so familiar with our world? Yeah. So Congress has decided to legislate certain provisions that expire after a period of time. Some things are very expensive, and it's usually for cost reasons that Congress decides to pass legislation that has an expiration date. Other extenders are the potential imposition of revenue-raising positions, and Congress decides to kick those down the road. In either case, these are provisions that have a limited lifespan, and Congress can decide to extend them beyond the expiration date. There are several dozen tax extenders. I don't know exactly how many, but there's a list that the Joint Committee on Taxation publishes at the beginning of every Congress or at the beginning of every year that includes a list of expiring provisions and the year in which they expire. And we know that the Inflation Reduction Act took care, so to speak, of many of these tax extenders. That is, it extended for pretty long term some of the credits that would otherwise expired or would become expired soon. So what are kind of the tax extenders that are on the radar screen of either Democrats or Republicans that kind of kind of must haves or need to think about in the lame duck session? There are four tax provisions that are going to be in play during this season. The first is the child tax credit, which provides direct payments to families in need. That's a provision that Democrats care about tremendously and is a red line in the sand. Democrats will want something in this area. The second is research expenses under Section 174. The third is limitation on interest expense, which is currently 30% of EBIT. But if it's restored to pre-2022, we'll go back to 30% of EBITDA. 
And then finally, current expensing. So let's take those one by one. The child tax credit, right? It's been in the code for a long time, but the uh, ARPA legislation during COVID or the American Rescue Plan increased that child tax credit. It was originally for a long time, a $2,000 per child tax credit, only some of which was refundable, which meant only some of it amounted to uh, a possible check at the end of the, the filing season. But ARPA increased it greatly to $3,600 and made all of it refundable. And I think what you're referring to also is that one of the unique things that ARPA did, again, it was only for a limited time period in 2021, is that it made half of the credit advanceable. So certain low income folks with children were getting checks throughout 2020. And that since has expired in 2022, meaning that I think Democrats are kind of somewhat eager to, to either you know, is, is it that they're looking, Josh, to put this back like it was in 2021, the really super boosted child tax credit or, or some kind of mix or match between the old and the special rules for 2021? I think it's unclear what Democrats want at this point, Nicole. Certainly, Democrats would like to restore the credit back to what it was in 2021. The direct pay features of that credit are viewed as helping to lift many families out of poverty. So it does serve a valuable purpose in that end. But the Democrats have not said that that's exactly what they need and they will take nothing else. I think it's all negotiable, but certainly Democrats would like to provide additional funding to families in need in exchange for helping businesses. And let's be clear that the 2021 rule, which allowed it advanceable, meant that those families got a check every month for at least part of this credit. And I've certainly seen studies where it did alleviate and, and folks did spend this advanced money on important things like food or education or child care. So I think while you can have disagreements on its efficacy, um, there's certainly a lot of evidence out there that it did alleviate child poverty, um, at least with respect to some populations. I think the issue there, Josh, is what, why do Republicans take issue with this child tax credit if we're, who's against eliminating child poverty? <laughs> Well, I think there are a few things. First, it's arguably the child tax credit created another entitlement. And I think the Republican Party is not a fan of entitlements. Second, some Republicans, some conservative economists have argued that the amount of money that was flooded into the economy, in effect, turbocharged the economy and overheated it. And we're in a period of inflation and adding more dollars into the economy could further overheat the economy and undercut the actions the Federal Reserve is taking to bring inflation under control. And I think the other argument, right, is that it's super expensive. Um, the child, the child that tax credit expansion that was done in 2021 was cost quite a lot of money. Yes, we're talking probably over $180 billion to restore the prior iteration of the CTC. That is not a rounding error either. That's real money. So let's talk about some of the um, corporate provisions. Who, who's in favor of, you mentioned three, who, who's in favor of these changes or extensions? Everyone is in favor of 174. <laughs> it, 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 everyone loves so research. What, what is 174 for those of us who are not tax nerds? Yeah, so prior to the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act in 2017, there were two incentives to uh, to encourage businesses to research in the United States and to subsidize research out of the United States. 
So there's a research credit that was made permanent as part of the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. But then Republicans, in order to bring down the rate from 35% to 21%, needed to find a range of revenue raisers. And one of the revenue raisers they felt they picked was uh, 174, which once again, pre-TCJA, allowed for research expenses to be currently expensed. Then as part meaning, of- Meaning deducted in the year. Deducted so in the year they're taken. Yeah, it's very valuable that they didn't have to be capitalized or amortized. They could be deducted in the year um, the expenses incurred and recognized. Then what happened in TCJ is in five years after the tax bill passed in 2017, various pieces began to expire or get worse for purposes of the revenue estimate. And Congress thinks in terms of 10-year revenue estimates and 10-year revenue windows. So because Republicans used reconciliation, they needed to find provisions that did not increase the deficit outside of the revenue window and also preserve within the revenue window their targets. So one of the offsets was a timing offset, which was to change the deductibility of research expense and make it amortizable over five years for domestic research or 15 years for foreign research subsidized by a US entity. That is obviously, uh, it's a timing issue, and but it's a very significant timing issue for businesses that are research intensive. This is really about cash flow. And what Congress would like to do, and I think this is once again bipartisan, bicameral, Congress would like to restore current expensing for Section 174, but probably just for a limited period. They're not going to permanently fix it. It is now an extender where Congress is trying to prevent something from happening and kick the can down the road. And this expired, this provision came kind of into effect in 2022. Is that right? So unless Congress acts in the lame duck, we could possibly be in 2023 and have to live with it, or could they retroactively fix this issue? Yes, it is very possible that Congress, uh, if they don't act, if they don't pass tax extenders, then this provision would apply beginning January 1, 2022. So yes, this is a this would be a retroactive extension of prior law. It is possible that, let's say Congress, for some reason, is unable to address extenders in the lame duck session, then yes, it is possible that Congress early next year could pass an extenders bill, fix 174. That would be messy, and I'd feel bad for the IRS during filing season. However, it it has happened in the past where Congress has fixed extenders after January 1st. And then the other one you spoke about was IBIT and IBIDA. Can you explain what in the world that's all about? Yes. So once again, in 2017, as part of the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, Congress modified the limitation on interest expense. It used to be viewed as a more generous limitation, and the United States moved in the direction of what the OECD had recommended in action item four. And under that approach, it's a limitation of 30% of earnings before interest, tax, depreciation, and amortization. That's the cap, that's the cap uh, from 2017 or 2018 through the end of 2021. And once again, as a, as a way of subsidizing the corporate tax rate, after 2021, the limitation changed from 30% of EBITDA to 30% of EBIT. So that becomes a very uh, a much lower limitation for interest deductibility, and that means more companies will have to carry forward 
their interest expenses to future years. And this, like the R&D 174 issue that we were talking about, was again an impact of TCJA and kind of needing to raise money for TCJA by making these kind of more restrictive rules come into effect, but making them effective in the future years, kind of a, a future problem that we're now facing. That is correct. Now, unlike Section 174, where there's bipartisan, bicameral love for research, I think there's been less work done to date on Section 163J, and members are getting up to speed. The staffs are on the Hill certainly have heard about this issue, but I don't know if all the members have. And we have not seen the same type of bipartisan, bicameral love for fixing this provision. So, however, I think if an extenders bill passes, then 163J will be part of that package because it certainly does help companies subsidize building new plants and doing research in the United States. So the last thing you mentioned, Josh, was bonus depreciation and that that might be on the table for the lame duck session. What is that all about? Yes, yeah, so also as part of the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act in 2017, the uh, Congress included a provision that provides for current expensing of certain property property that can be depreciated in 15 years or less can be currently expensed or deducted in the year of the expenditure. The idea is that that would help companies make investments in the United States, which is what TCJA was about. And in the past, Congress has had various rounds of bonus depreciation or current expensing during a recession or a softness in the economy to encourage capital expenditures. The current expensing is 100% in 2020. Two, but in 2023, it begins to ramp down to 80% of the expenses. So 80% could be currently expensed in 2023, but then 20% has to be depreciated or amortized depending on the asset. And I think the view of the Republicans who supported this provision is it's a very important catalyst for keeping investment in America. And so they would like to see uh, further investments made and this provision extended, at least for one year. And this this change that's happening possibly in 2023, unless Congress acts, it gets worse over time, right? It's 80% in 2023. And then if I understand it correctly, the percentages get lower over time. So maybe it it may make sense, maybe may not make sense to do it now, but as the as it gets more and more restrictive, I would think that there's going to be more and more pressure put on Congress to change this. That is correct. I think we, we will see a, certainly if it's not fixed this year, we'll see an effort to fix it next year. Um, I think compared to 174, and there's the, a spectrum of how much work has been done on various provisions. I think we've all heard, those of us who pay attention in Washington about tax extenders, we've heard a lot on 174. We've seen a lot less on bonus depreciation. That doesn't mean it won't be part of a deal if it, Republicans ask for it in exchange for, let's say, the trial tax credit, a deal can be had, but there certainly has been a lot less work on current expensing than on research. So we've talked about four provisions that might be at play during lame duck. I understand also there's a retirement bill that's circulating and has some support in both by both parties. That is correct. So as you may have heard, Nicole, there are certain members of Congress who are retiring, including Kevin Brady, the former chairman of Ways and Means, now the, the ranking Republican on Ways and Means, he is retiring at the end of this Congress. And he and Richie Neal, the current chairman at Ways and Means, have been working on retirement issues for years. And the House passed 
bipartisan fashion, the Secure 2.0 Act, which has a series of retirement provisions that are viewed as good government to help protect our retirement system. The Senate is also interested in retirement legislation, and it, it had a markup. The Senate Finance had a markup in committee, was it over the summer, last fall, but sometime last year. And the bill was reported out of committee, uh, I think unanimously. And that bill also contains a series of retirement provisions. There's some overlap with the Ways and Means bill, um, but the parties have been negotiating a retirement package to try to align the two bills. And I think there's a, there's a lot of optimism that Congress will pass a retirement package as part of the lame duck session. Other than retirement and the provisions that we talked about, uh, are there any other like must-dos in lame duck in terms of tax? Those are, I think, the must-dos. Uh, there are other items that fall to the Senate Finance Committee and Ways and Means Committee, specifically the debt limit. But as far as tax items, I think those are the two major tax items. And given that the midterms were, you know, so contentious and, and ended up being so close, did that increase or decrease our kind of prospects of working in a bipartisan fashion during lame duck to get this done? I think there's a lot of interest in trying to work through extenders and um, potentially the debt limit, although the debt, so the debt limit is um, the ability of the administration, the executive branch to issue debt for prior spending. And the debt limit likely expires middle of next year. And that includes extraordinary measures the secretary can undertake. So it is possible that there could be a bipartisan effort to increase the debt limit so that we do not blow through it next year. I think there's a concern that if McCarthy, if Congressman McCarthy is speaker, he will have a very thin majority, a caucus that has a, a diversity of huge diversity of views, and it will be challenging for him to to increase the debt limit without Democrats voting for it. So I think yes, in the season of Christmas and Hanukkah, there's an opportunity for a lot of bipartisanship, and that will disappear uh, once the new Congress is seated. Well, thanks, Josh. I think certainly a lot of people will be watching uh, as we go through lame duck, and you know hoping uh, that uh, some of these changes will be made uh, as they expire in 2022, especially those, those two that, that really impact us for next year if they aren't extended. Um, and I think we're at our end of our time together. So I thank you and I thank our listeners to hear a little bit more about the impact the midterm elections could have on the tax code. Thank you for listening to the Eyes on Washington podcast, brought to you by Holland and Knight's Public Policy and Regulation Group. For more information on our Public Policy and Regulation Group, please visit hklaw.com slash PPR.